And we say good morning to you once again. Oh, yes, so welcome to Cool 97FM's Live Tuesday. So, we have a very special edition for you this morning as we journey through the music of the iconic Grammy-winning production and drum and bass duo of Sly and Robbie. This morning, we're going to celebrate the work of this groundbreaking team who have impacted global music. Associated initially with reggae and dub, drummer Sly Dunbar and bassist Robbie Shakespeare teamed up to bring us some of the most iconic hits across cultures and across generations. Their achievements are evident in their own work. But not only has the duo charted a path as musicians for their own projects, they've also provided musical grounding for many other artists, as well as produced and made innovative contributions to countless albums at home and abroad. Undoubtedly, when you listen to the music on Cool 97 FM, and we have brought it to your attention that Sly and Robbie are on that recording, and that recording, yes, and that recording, yes. Your eyes are opened to the magnificence of the duo. Ah, it's not possible to mention Jamaican music or music globally without counting the vast impact of the powerhouse that we call Sly and Robbie. So today, in our own way, we're going to celebrate their enduring work. And we celebrate and pay tribute to the life and work of Robert Robbie Shakespeare. September 27, 1953. To December 8, 2021. Now, let's begin our trek into the Sly and Robbie catalog. Turn your lamps down low now 
Life Tuesday brought to you by... Now we get into our chit-chat today. We've got more music coming up, don't worry, from Sly and Robbie. But first we're going to have our little conversation with one half of the prolific duo that is very much a part of the cool family, Sly Dunbar. Welcome to you? Live Tuesday. How are you doing? Hmm? Um, I just spoke to Copeland and I was waiting for someone to call in. Well, we, oh. we hear Drander Egypt. Okay, tell you what, we're going to put you back on hold. We're going to get the number from you if you happen to have it, and yeah. and then we will we will rejoin. So for now, Mikey, just yeah. he's waiting. All right, so we're just going to drop some more music while we talk with you uh, so behind the scenes. All right, the, the real thing. Go on, enjoy the music. No man, you have to listen to cool commercials and now we're going back to our interview all right so we have Sly Dunbar and we have Copeland Forbes both on the line as we're going to just uh, kick back relax have our very entertaining conversation very informative conversation and very relaxed conversation all right so that's there's that's the trajectory of going on so we welcome Copeland Forbes uh, to Cool 97 FM. Sly, we welcomed you earlier. Sly, we're going to begin with you. For those who might have missed out on our previous conversations inside of Live Tuesday, where you've you've popped in as our guest, tell us how did Sly and Robbie get started? <laughs> well, Sly and Robbie got started by um, meeting down um, Randy's record store, not parade every day, and then Robbie which brought me by um, Channel 1 to do fashion. But on weekends, he would perform in a club called um, Evil People, and I used to play the tip of that club from Wednesday to Saturday. So I played a tune um, for Joe Gibbs. Um, I remember a couple of years before that, I with myself and Tauta, the keyboard player for Inner Circle. So Tauta told Robbie, 
I'm going to take you over this club to let you see this drama I'm telling you about. So it took Robbie over to tit for that. And they see me in, uh, playing this groove and I was, I was cooking, cooking, groove was cooking. So Robbie said, wow. I have to do a recording with him. So, so Robbie called Bonnie Lee. And Bonnie Lee set up the recording at Channel 1. And Channel was the artist. I don't remember the song that John did, and then that was the first recording, and then we started doing the session, working on Jimmy Cliff's album together, and, you know, be working at Joe Gibbs, he would come up there, and I remember I was playing this song called Two Seven Clash, and it was so slow that I couldn't find the beat, I just wasn't feeling it, and he said to me, play, two, two, come, I said, that sounds cool, so I played it on the track, and the track became a hit, you know? And then, what going to feel the, um, so when he came at Channel One, no, he came in to be a part of Revolution. He played piano on the first song called MPLA. He was playing the piano on that song. And then Ranchi, who was a guitar player, was playing bass. He was playing bass called Light Park. was off the island, and we did a song called It's a Shame. So, Ranchi played the guitar on his session, went and then played the bass. So, Jojo said, Ranchi is his bass player. So, when Robbie came in and started playing the guitar, and quite a few cuts and stuff of songs then Ernest, the engineer that Jojo brought to Robbie, he's gonna go back on the bass, so we went on the bass and we were doing some really start recording really so but apart from that Robbie asked me to join him with Peter Touchband and I said yes. When I came back from tour of London with Dennis Brown and we did Equal Rice album and then when it was time for to for Sony Records to to put me on tour we were a part of the band, so we went down to more the Equal Rights album. And then there was Bob Marley with Carlton Barrett and Tommy Marley, two brothers. We could read rhythm section. So now Peter and X Wayland were coming up on the street with the now um, um, rhythm section playing all this rhythm in Jamaica. So a lot of people were curious to see you know, what Peter does sound like with Sly Robbie versus um, Bob Marley with, with Carlton Barrett. And, we just did our thing, and, and then people started mm-hmm. coming to the concert and liking what they heard, and everything started developing, and then we share rooms, and then we discussed all what things the band should sound, and playing all these dubs, because we didn't know how we were going to end Peter's song, but we were playing all these dubs, and we always thinking we want to sound like the idea of Earth, Wind, and Fire, and trying to put all of these ideas into Peter's program. But Peter was very cool, because... He left everything up to us. He was so relaxed that he didn't t- tell us what to do. I get to know our way of making the music. He would just, when we're going to the studio, we just fall in line and start playing. And maybe that's why his songs are, are like that, you know. So, so this is where the band came in. You know, Peter Touch kind of band. And Peter Touch was the one who really took us to that international stardom to introduce us to the world. At the first, I think, in 19. 19- 75, I think, as a door. But at first, went there on a tour in the U.S. with um, Jimmy Cliff, because they used to play with Jimmy Cliff also. But as a rhythm section for me, Peter Tosh was the one who launched Slan Robbie, took them to the world, and from there, and it has been like this. You realize how lucky you are? <laughs> because this, this pairing was just so fortuitous. You you wonder does lightning strike in the same place twice? 
And I don't think we'll ever see another pairing like Sly and Robbie. And then for your past yeah, to I just think cross. You could see, probably you could see another pair. Uh, there was Cleavy and Steely. Uh-huh. And before there were Light Davis and Light Brevet, and there was Jackie Jackson and um, Paul Douglas. Hmm. Yeah, yes, the, when you think of it, you know. And there was Joe Isaac and. Um, the guy from Canada was the name Brian Atkinson. Brian Atkinson. Yes. But you sound a bit low, though. I get out of here. You know? Yeah, you were sounding low um, for the whole time that you were speaking, and we're pressing every conceivable button here in studio, trying to <laughs> improve the quality. But you do sound yeah, a little. No, you okay. sound a bit better now. You're much more audible now. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. We're gonna continue. Uh, let's see. So, so if you have a phone that maybe have a volume control in it, maybe you can turn it up some more. Yeah, just did that, yeah. Ah, good okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, man. Now you sound like you're in studio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at this point, we're going to invite uh, Copeland Forbes uh, to to step up and uh, join us in conversation. Good morning again, and welcome to the nation's coolest Cool 97 FM. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> I couldn't answer you in Spanish, but hey, I know you have an idea what you're asking. What is this, senor? Here you know. Let's leave that there. Yeah, we can't answer you. We don't know. Okay. Because the Sukasa. So this morning, what we're going to ask uh, of you. Your time as a what, road manager and a close friend of Sly and Robbie. When did you come into the picture, into their life story? Well, to, to be honest with you, my, my first uh, meeting and interaction was in 1975 with um, Robbie when he was part of a band named Black Disciples backing Burning Spear. And I was living in New York at that time, and then they came up and they played a concert at Shaper Festival in Central Park. And people to this day is saying that um, they outdrew Bob because Bob came two weeks before. But that's what the critics were saying, you know. And that's why my first meeting actually with him, right, as as a musician and knowing him. Um, two years later, we did a show at Madison Square Garden with Burning Spear and Mike Diamond, and Sly was with the Revolutionaries, while Robbie was with the Black Disciples Band, you know, and then we played that show. And then 1976 now is when we actually started working together now and um, uh, on a continuous basis. And then in 1979, I became a member of the Peter Trash team, and it was through Sly and Robbie why I was um, hired for that team, you know, and would you believe it? I started out as a person assistant to Peter on the tour. And Zion Ravi was the one that recommended me to the management and said, we need this man on the team because this man is uh, the best man out on the road. You know, and it was a great start for me because that's where I excelled from being a personal assistant to Peter Tash and, um, and to road management and management and everything like that. So it was as a result of Diana Rabbi, a mind adoption with Peter Tosh that started my road trekking um, schedule around the world. So Rabbi, I have to give him credit for that. And as a matter of fact, he was the one that sat me down and said, let me tell you something about Peter Tosh. He likes to have his porridge in the morning, right? He loves his soup in the evening. And when he's going to the show, 
to know how to steam fish with crackers and okra. <laughs> you know? So it was Robbie that gave me all that schooling right there and then. And then I meshed in so nice, so good that my first encounter with that cooking thing was on Martha's Vineyard when we were playing there, you know, when Carly Simon would join the Sun State. And then from then on, it was a ship sailing right up. And then I moved from being a personal assistant to an assistant road manager and a road manager and from manager up to manager. I take it the fish started to taste really good. <laughs> Hold on a minute. No, but your, your climb as a, uh, an assistant really seemed to have taken off in, in just a matter of short years. Yes, you know, it was but because uh, Sly, me and Sly I went on a tour with the Mighty Diamonds in Europe with the revolutionaries, you know, and we came very, very close since then, you know, and um, through that connection, you know, it was easy for me to just move along and gel along with everybody because of my experience, um, you know, doing um, that tour before, you know, where we went to the UK and toured um, with Virgin Records, Richard Branson at the helm of everything. Mm -hmm. So it was a great experience for me, you know, and I gelled in nice and easily. And the rest of the members of the band, we were, we were all friends, you know, so it was easy to move along. And I learned very quickly, you know, and moved up the rank like a rocket, you know, and it was due to Stan Robbie's introduction of me wow. to the team. Okay. Uh, 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 Copeland, could you then just give us a, 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 an idea of what was reggae music like, the development, the, the impact it was having? Because you have revol revolutionaries, one side with them, um, and then you had... Black Disciples with, 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 um, with Robbie, you know, what was the impact of it? How was it developing? How did you see it? Well, well I tell you, you know, it, it, you know, I mean, this is so interesting because um, it actually started from the, the, the night, the, the, the Friday night when Bob got shot. Me and Don Taylor had a meeting and we said, um, you know, should we use one man for the back? Both artists or just use two different men and then he said, Spear is going to want to use the Black Disciples, you know. So we said, okay, then it's no problem. You know, the, the Mighty Diamonds will use the Revolutionary. So when you have the Revolutionaries, mm -hmm. the Black Disciples, on the same stage in Manistee Square Garden, oh, Jesus, have mercy. <laughs> because the Black Disciples had people like Earl Chinna Smith, Oi. Toto Harvey, mm -hmm. Leroy Harsmouth Wallace, Dirty Harry, Gandhi Jr., Marquis, right? And then... The, 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 the revolutionary that slide on bar, Lloyd Parks on bass, um, Anthony Collins on keyboard, Doogie Bryan on guitar, and, and, and Sticky Thompson on percussion, and a crack horn section led by the late Ron Wilson, um, Lester Sterling, and um, another um, from the Catalyze days. So the, the meeting of both groups was such a great impact. And I think that's where it led to Burning Spear at the time, who was a three-man group when Robbie was with them, and they ended up being a one-person group because some kind of something happened downstairs in the dressing room, an argument, and I think the revolutionary was, was firing at, on all cylinders, you know, and I don't know what happened <laughs> then. Then after that, Burning Spear became a one-man group, and then after it, he, he, he formed his own band and then went on to do his work. Then Robbie was with the Aggravators, which was an entity that operates a lot with um, Striker Lee, mm -hmm. you know. But the Sly and Robbie 
um, involvement with Peter Tosh is where the Sly and Rabbit um, combination as a rhythm twin it started to excel because within that band with Peter Tosh was people like Mikey Chung, you know, um, um, Donald Kinsey, you know, and, 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 and keyboard. You have, you have um, Tarzan, so it was a great aggravation moving along, you know, and I was proud to be a member of that team. And that's where the Sly and Robbie, as Sly said before, it was the involvement with Peter Tuss that put, took them straight to the international world, and they just kept going, 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 going until the Black Rule thing came in in 1981, you know, and I was a part of that too, and that experience too. You know, so it was a great experience for all of us together, moving along. We're moving along. A, a song or two before I come back to you. <laughs>
indeed one of the best songs ever produced, Buckingham Palace. Peter Tosh, it's on my top ten favorite songs of all time. Come on. <laughs> Ooh, love it. Oh, and Sly, compliments yeah, on the timing you did. But the timing on that song, man, keeping pace, that beat, no matter what, good stuff. Yeah. All right, what would you say has been the central driving force in your music? For me? Mm-hmm. For me? Yes. Central driving force for me. Just, uh, it's a groove. Just a groove. Let it groove. Let it mm -hmm. dance. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. And just working around musicians and people. I like to work around people, you know, because you get a vibe from them. And being around like Mikey Chung, Robbie, mm -hmm. Robbie Lane, I mean, and Jeffrey Chung sometimes, the engineer. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. couldn't go wrong, you know, with that groove. But it's like, you, always, you, you have mentioned several interviews about the groove, and you like the groove. Can you dance? Yeah, man, I used to dance on television and school plan, you know. What? Yeah, man. What? I used to dance like James Brown and them thing, the man. Split and them thing, the man. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> no, no. That's a secret. <laughs> yeah, you can remember you have to put that five years. So, you know, dance, man. You must can't move your foot somewhere, you know. <laughs> Yeah, my cooper was on television and, and the other thing was, what, I don't know what the program was, and then... Soul Train. Soul Train. No, not Soul Train, for, for Jamaica, the local Teenage Jamaica. Teenage Dance Party. <laughs> I don't know what... ADP, man. Yeah, man, it's a dance on the television, man. Teenage Dance Party. Yeah, one time I was there with a uh, top ten tune with Tom and my cook band, playing for all the artists with a top ten record, wheel as everybody, yeah, man. Yeah, I, 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 so I can't move my foot, my foot not too heavy, you know. Mike, you know that, too, man. Yeah, but Mr. Merritt was, I think, was the first king of uh, other... Teenage dance party. Yeah, my camera will come from people around us could dance and everybody around us could dance. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, I want to remember that his sister, Copeland, friend, and brother named Bums. It was a whole string of dancers used to. I remember Rabbi himself was a fantastic dancer, you know, because it was Rabbi who brought Peter out to the middle yeah. of the stage to dance at night. Because Peter used to just stand up at the guitar and just play the guitar with the wah wah sound. And Robbie used to clean and go up beside him and say, Look at the move. And Robbie just do a move on the stage. Just do the move too. And then he just has to dance around. He must put on the guitar to Robbie say, Put on the guitar, you know. We are going to dance, you know. Now, we used to call Peter Pegleg, you know. I remember knowing that to call him Pegleg, you know. So Robbie called him out and put on the guitar and start dance. And Robbie go there and say, Man, you know, the, the front lines start move like dazzle, you know? <laughs> and then you see on that same song, that, on that same song you just played, Buckingham um, Palace, there's something historical about that song that I wanted to say that I, I started using the intro of that song to introduce the band because I know we came MC for the tours besides doing my other stuff. So one of the lines I used to say, um, um, in the beginning, Jack created heaven and earth. In the beginning, Jack created mankind. Pete is his name, and marijuana is his game. Equal rights and justice is his main desire. The Bush doctor is here to set your soul on fire. And you smash down and slide us roll up. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was a great bad man. Why did we get this man, I think? Oh, yeah. Sound and power. Yes. Did that name oh, start, Paul, yeah. did, did that start before or, or, or when you joined that he turned he, he, he gave the band that name? What's that? When when you asked when, when you joined him, um did, did the band have that name before No or? no the band just forming out. The band the band forming 
with rubber hats because Peter was just going to go solo. So he just, um, he had equal, um, legalized album out there, but he was assigned to, I think it was Rolling Stone record or Sony Stone. We did an equal rights album, so Peter came up with the name World Sound and Power. So Peter was word, I think, I was someone that probably Robert was power. I think that's what it bland, bland out, you know? Yes, it was built around Peter yeah, and Robert. The word sound and power. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll have, to, we'll have to take a break. Uh, and now we'll come back to you right after. <laughs> I wonder if I can get through the cool slide pack. Now, let's get back to our trick with Sly and Robbie as we go through their catalog.
with you. Mighty got a telephone call earlier from Steve Golding, who made a little correction for us. It was not a teenage dance party. Mm-hmm. It was where it's at. So Copeland, it was where it's at. <laughs> no, no, TADP was before where it's at. TADP started from in the 60s. Uh-huh. Then, it, then it moved and go to, to um, Young World. And then the final one was where it's at. I oh. You have. So, so the, 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 your group, uh, James Brown 4, was that the name of your group? No, no, no. That was Carl Anthony's group. Oh, and okay. was the posters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we stand corrected, though. The history is straight. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. But my book. My book, Radio My Life, is which is coming out soon on Downsall Records. And I have all the stories and everything that we talk about this morning in full length, exciting pictures and exciting authentic. Wow. All right. So, uh, now, uh, Sly. Uh, hello. T- tell us, uh, how did Robbie get to become such a great bass player? Where did he, he learn the guitar? Um, I think Family Man was the one who um, kind of introduced him to the guitar and kind of taught him about, you know, we, when we saw a team up together, myself and him, I mean, it was, it was already a great bass player before, playing for aggregators and doing sessions, you know, mm-hmm. but when we team up together, and I said, as I said, Mikey Chong, Robin and John, the band, they were start listening to groups like Earthwind and Fire, and all of the top groups, Steve Wonder stuff, everything was just going on market, so we try and use that as a reference, and we started just doing things on stage, and we wanted the stage to sound different, you know, and he always trying to play precise bass line. I always wanted his bass to sound a certain way. So I would go out and listen to his bass when he doing sound check, and he would go listen to the drums. And once you get that really updated, we know everything is all right. Mm. But he loved it very much, and he played, um, put a lot of time to it in, in practicing his, 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 his scale and everything. I know the finger and the bass, a certain way, a certain lines. Like sometimes he would take up the bass. Like, for example, there's a song called all world is Africa. I think it's one of the wickedest bass line that he was playing the jump pattern of the bass line and he started playing it and said, That's it, you know and he said, Really? I was said, Take it, take it now and he took it, you know, and and then he was on an art made of stone. We he was fooling around the bass in the inside and he playing whoop boom whoop. So I said, That sounds wicked and I said, Really? I said, Ready, take it. And just, so he, he always got the cutting edge, even when you listen to Shine Eye Girl. I didn't even know that line came, but I don't know what, what inspiration he got to play that line. But when the time was finished, I said, man, that line is awesome. Because on that track, Keith Richards from the Rolling Stone is playing guitar on it. So you just think outside of the box a lot of times. You would go outside of the box, you know. Because what happens is, as, as, a, as a rhythm section together, you know, we're near 12 hours a day, so you can do something I say, that's good, you know. But I think what is happening to them is, you know, a lot of rhythm section and bass and drum team. So I'm always there to back them up, and he's always there to back them up. I always want the bass and drum to sound tight and together, you know. So and a little refreshing at these. I said, wow, that sounds good. I'm saying, really? I mean, and, you know, so it's just being there forever and being there for me, I think, you know. Talk to us about one of your most memorable performances as a duo. Well, most memorable performance as I do is Rock Palace when um, we, we did the first Black Horror gig, big gig we were going to do, and we had a lot of other rock groups on the show, and we have a guy named Link Neville said, we're going to set the place for you guys, you know? And we said, what did he say? And we went on and closed the, to close the show around 2 o'clock in the morning in Germany, and, and you know, we just did what we have to do, and, you know, we, <laughs> we did this in 81, and this 
this um, concept is being shown still in Germany. And, it, you know, Copeland was looking at it yesterday, and Copeland was MC, so Shakespeare base, make you my new ways. Slide down, boy, eat you from afar. I don't know, but the concept was so awesome that the promoter, um, it was three and core. We were going over time because we were on live television, and we were on live radio, and this is what the concept of Make Blackwood the group they were today. They are today. I were because they're not they don't exist anymore. Copeland, which yeah. was which was the most memorable performance you got a chance to witness? Oh listen, not witness, be a part of because I now became a part of all the happenings on stage now because of my style of introduction and emceeing, um, back announcing and introducing the group. So I developed a format that became a little showpiece myself. As I just said that one at Rock Palace was 1981. We went to an opening for Cool and the Gang when they were the hottest group around his ladies' night celebration time. All the other hits that go with it. And that night, at that show, Germany at Rock Palace, I mean, I started getting goosebumps because we were sandwiched and surrounded by some heavy rock like Ming Deville. And this was like the first show in, in Europe, the Black Euro. We had to name the group Black Uhuru with Sly and Rabbit with some weight to challenge those big rock groups. But you see, when the big band went out on stage, five people, Sly, Rabbit, um, Darren, and Billy Johnson, we carried an extra guitarist, Billy Johnson, and Sky's Roots. And when them started to lick, everybody thought it was a 12-piece band on the stage. And they put down a pace there that the promoter came and begged me to do another encore. And we did one more. He came and begged me again. He said, pay for the extra time on the radio and TV. And that occasion was one of the most memorable ones that's been carried now all over on, um, on Facebook and in social media because Sly and Robbie did something people have never seen yet on stage. With the, the, the bass, when Sly was playing on the bass, Right, while Robbie was moving his hand up and down, you know, so you hear that, you know, bass sound and size movements on the, on the string. So that was, I'd say, with one of the, the best and the most memorable ones. But there are so many, which and Robbie, Crystal Palace in, 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 in um, England, the first reggae sun splash, Crystal Palace, over 50,000 people, and Sly and Robbie was back in, you know, on another sugar miner performance, everything. Blackie, who you name it, and they put down our shows. So there are so many occasions with the Rhythm Twins that you can't single out one, but that one in Germany. I tell you, you know, it was bad. You know, um, Co Co Copeland uh, and, and Sly, in that interview I heard, Robbie, that, that question was asked, and Robbie mentioned that for him, there's one, I don't know where you're playing, it could be in Germany. But every night they are fired, shots were fired. Does like a rider almost ban you guys from playing? Can, can you attest to that? Italy. Italy. It was an Italian con on tour with David. So what, what, what happened? No, the people heard us and so unruly, man. There's thousands of people, man, come to see Peter. And every, every, the people always think that Mick Jagger is going to turn up. So. You know, they were just there, you know, and they, I think one, one night, I think they, they threw some on stage and I was using this kind of transparent drum set and they broke one of the tom-tom, you know. I think it was number, number 15 tom-tom got broken, yeah. 
I think it was Italy. It was an Italian tour we did, like one month in Italy. Well, okay. Now, talk. To, I just am very curious, and I'm sure many of our listeners would also love to know. For Robbie, his dream for Jamaica's music industry. Have you ever had that conversation with him? Repeat again. Did you ever have a conversation with Robbie? where the two of you just sat down and discussed what is your dream for Jamaica's music industry and where we're right. going. Um, what we what dreamt about is like in the beginning, like um, we always sit down and say like, um, we're doing a lot of recording sessions in Jamaica. And I said, I said to him, one day this is going to be over and the producer is going to try using younger musicians or other musicians who they think probably have, have, have the lick and everything. So I said to him, you know, we have to start owning ourselves. And it's what he mean. I said, we don't own ourselves on tape. Producers own us, so we have to start owning ourselves. That we say when we're going to put out a record and when we're not going to put a record. So mean we market ourselves, and no one could tell us when to go into studio and when not to play. So Derek had just done an album with me called Good Every Rhythm. So I said Derek had just did an album. He owns it, you know. So we think we should go in and start making records. So we did a couple of songs before. I never do good anything like that, and then. Robbie went and checked Gregory Isaac and Gregory came in and, and sang like six songs for us and one of the songs was Soon Forward and um, that was the first like number one song we got and um, they did a showcase and Gregory was at the studio before the Friday morning to voice the songs them and this is where we really start looking for Jamaica music and looking into Jamaica music see where we could take it and we try everything that we, we could find, you know. I bought a lot of equipment, Robbie bought a lot of bass equipment and we were just into an instrument to people around us like um I'd say Mike Kitchen, Robbie and other musicians and also the engineers because not Robbie and myself alone that did it. People like Copeland. You were not doing gigs, I would run the the, the playlist by Copeland. So what do you think of it and I say, Yeah, yeah, it's flowing nice and cause we have to keep that flow. So there's a bunch of people we're really involved in us to, 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 to what we have achieved at this time. You know, we always ask people opinion because we didn't think we know it all, you know. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of people think that people like Peter Tosh gave us the freedom. Black crew, there was a lot of freedom also, so we could do what we want to do, you know. So, that is where, that's what took us to where we are today. And, you know, there's a freedom of playing. And with even Grace Jones, there was a lot of freedom also. Chris they didn't say what to play with us, play with. Once the groove is slapping, let us take it. Tell me something. Was it that whole desire to have ownership of your talents and to be able to say when you move and when you don't move that led to the formation of what we now know as Taxi, the Taxi label? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were thinking because I was reading a lot about the Motown and mm-hmm. Philadelphia stuff and uh, gambling up and things. So it wasn't like say, we don't want to stop. We wasn't going to stop playing for the producer. We're going to play, but... You know, sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, you do something and the producer wants the next musician to play back over the track and then no one will hear what you have done. So you're controlled. So you don't always want freedom to put out the record. So we start working, when we start, when Peter Tosh used to come back home with the money and we would invest and book like Channel One for like a week. Mm-hmm. And then records, this is where we make Baltimore and all this stuff. We book the suit up for one week. You know, we save up the money and talk with Peter Van, we were like, it was like a low-budget band, so we were getting like $100 per week, per week for money. But you know, that's the beginning of it at the start. So 
we know we have to sacrifice, compromise, the bigger things. So we come home with the money and save the money on the ball. Sixteen roll of tapes in New York and come down with it and we book Channel One for a week and we say this is the beginning. So is it how it work? I don't. I don't work. You know. Mm. So Baltimore laying the side to um, love and devotion. Um, all these songs came out of one session. You know, Junior the Gator, Fourth Augustus, Merge Around, everything. So you know, that, that's how everything got really, got into the hit making. See my Robin and piano. Clive on doing arms arrangement, number one in being there, Mikey Chung playing on some tracks and everything like that. You know what I like? I like that each and every time we speak with you, you are able to just cast your mind back and with great clarity outline who was there for the recording. You're telling us it happened on a Friday. You have such such in-depth information that makes the story that much more Well, I, I, I try and engaging. remember, I try and remember brain, especially when I do a recording and understood. I never take a copy and listen to it. I try and remember everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even Baltimore, Rob, we were playing, we were late Baltimore track, Robin sat there by the piano. See? And when Chuck was playing, was playing, I said, well, what songs you put on this, put on this, this is wicked, and Robin just dubbed it down. And I saw, as I say, there's a lot of musicians being around us and producers, artists who gave us the freedom to play, right? And to develop our skill. Like a channel one, Jojo gave us the freedom to play. So this is where I could excel and do what I do on the drums because some people say they don't want that. Like, I said to Robin the other day, I said, but I want to say enough respect to all of you because if you didn't give me the freedom, I say you don't like what I was playing. I wouldn't have played it. And he said, laugh. I said, no, it's like, he played some wicked things, and I said, thank you. You know, you have to know to say thank you, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be overwhelmed today, I wouldn't if they had to say they don't like what I'm doing. But it worked, you know, so. Wow. And, and what this was for Robbie and said, because he would try things, and I said, well, that sounds wicked. And I said, you shake it at butt, and I said, hey, I would go for it. But we always try, we're not perfect, but we try to get the right groove and the feel. It's very important, the feel, the feel. Mm-hmm. And the song is not a perfect thing, it's a feel, you know. Because he would do something and say, hey, I'm saying that wicked man, I feel wicked man, or about it, and on. okay, and, and we never quarrel about it, we try to make, we never quarrel it, and if you see no question, no, we always try to make anything better. Mm-hmm. So I suggest him, if it doesn't work, I'm to try this other way, I'm I was just laugh, and say, yeah man, that worked with him, say, yeah man, I chew, man, I would just, I, yeah, I was got you. Well, Sly, a couple of when we return, uh, there's a song I'm going to play for you, Sly, and you can tell us about it. I know it has a lot of meaning for you, so stay with us. You listen to Cool 97 FM, all right? Please. <laughs> and it's a lesson to all of the musicians and the producers and all the recording houses. Start documenting each and every recording session. It will be valuable information in the years to come. And now it's back to the Sly and Robbie catalog. Sly and Robbie and the Taxi Gang? Yes, indeed.
Is that Robbie doing that searing guitar? No, no, that's that's the guitar. That's a fine guitar. That's a guy in Barrow, and I was a Mikey song between the two of them playing that. Whoa, okay. All right. We were listening to Grace Jones. It's yeah, one of the first bits on the recording, my private life, was done original by Chrissy Hines. Uh huh. Yeah, but she liked our version. She said that to be her song should be done, you know? So we killed it, you know? <laughs> we remember that you love that version. Yeah, 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 but really. You guess what I love it. It was the second song. We worked out for great at Compass Point. The first one was Warm Letter, right? And this was the second one. And when Chris Black was able to play back, we couldn't believe how, how, how tight the band sounded and recorded some because it was the first time we were going to play together as a band in one session, you know? And all of these songs were one take. There's no two takes of anything. And then in the studio, there was a big picture of Grace John with her image across the studio. So she was standing in front of us and we were looking at the picture. So we're making the music just like how she looked. You know? That kind of like a movie thing. Uh-huh. So, you know, that was, it was a fun recording. It was, it was, it was record with her, you know? Really, really. So very you know? organic, man. Yeah. <laughs> organic here, yeah. organic here. Yeah. So baseline of Robert Taylor was really well off the hook, you know, very organic baseline. Deep deep for it, you know. Yeah. So pull up to the bumper. Pull up to the bumper what, that came after? No, pull up to the bumper was done in the first session but it was it was recorded down the line but never came it never come out on the first album, come out on the second album because it was a song that I had written for and I remember we were in the studio running and I said to Alex, one of the producers, that you know this song and he said, Go ahead and record this line because a lot of people I can say something now, like the Grace Jones sound came from Black Hole Sentimental album. We took the tape up there to Nassau with us and we wanted Chris to listen to this group of we were working with and when I put Sensimilla album on tape on in the studio and played it, Chris said, What is this? <laughs> this is fantastic and he said, Who's this group? I said, Black Hole if that thing was thinking of coming out of reggae, but I can't leave it. So Alex said, you know what, um, let's use this sound that they have here because it sounds so great and let's kind of transform it to Grace and give Grace a sound because there was no idea for Grace. We were just going to cut records, so we didn't have really a sound base. So they used that template and that carved out the sound for Grace, you know. 
I'll go back to the story to pull up to the bumper now. I, I think we wrote the song. We get inspiration from a song called I Just Want to Be Good, good to You, Good to You by the Brother Johnson. And I always loved that record. I still love the record. So I was writing the line called Spray Yourself Over Me. You know, I'm in love with you. want you to love me too. And then I had to sing the song because Grace didn't know the song. So I was singing and playing for the musicians here. So my voice is really on the multi-track down there then. After we laid the track now, then they would take the song and change the lyrics and everything, and a girl come in, Dan O'Mano, and rearrange everything. But the bass line that Robbie played in that record is awesome. I tell you, I, we just, nobody told no one what to play on recording. We just record. Everybody just find their own thing and just groove and lock it together. And the other day I was listening to, to pull up to the bump, and when it became a hit, you know, somebody said, when, when it goes to the paradise club, they would just put on the intro, and you just hear the intro with Robbie bass going around and around. And they they call it Sly and Robbie Groove, you know. And but if you listen to that bass line, is I mean I don't know. I can't I can't really say. Somebody has to listen. You have to listen to it and hear it for yourself. I can't really explain. You know? That uh, you, you 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 had association with Gwen Guthrie here. What was that? What was this experience like for you, uh, Sly? Okay, all right. We met Gwen Guthrie when we were working at Peter Touch. 
pushed up the album, you know, we had went to New York, I wanted um, uh, a certain song for Peter because he was going to the international room now, domain now, so we asked some people, and I think a lady by the name of Teresa, I think she hooked up um, Gwen Guthrie with the whole project, and then from there on we became friends, you know, and um, so when we left um, Peter's band, we went to Nassau, and um, we called her and asked her if she wanted to do this vocal force, like on a couple of tracks, we had this project in mind, and she said yes, so she flew down to, Nas to Nassau, and we did like, seven, um, Should Have Been You was the first thing that came off the album, and we, we did the regular version of this, um, produced um, Bob Marley song, um, I Wanna Love You, and um, a couple more tracks like um, Seven Heaven, and, um, but um, The Rent was a different project, it came, not for, for Island Record, but when she left, um, she was signed to think to Poly, Polydor this time, when came to but it was great because she was a great um, person because she was married to uh, a Jamaican. Because she used to live in the grill one at a time, you know? Really? But, but, yeah, but she, 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 she has died, you know, she's dead, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, tell us, like, huh? I know throughout this conversation, you've hinted uh, at, on at least two occasions where you were pretty much surprised by or you were delighted at a rift that uh, that Robbie came up with or how he started a tune or something like that but give us an example of one or two songs when the first time you were recording them Robbie put down a piece of playing that you had to think to yourself where that come from? <laughs> well, every song he does the same thing. <laughs> I mean, all right, like, all right, like for example, me and Peter, Peter never said, tell us what to do, I want to just play. That was, I think, a good development for us, you know, and Peter just sat there and play. The freedom. And when we're going to shoot it to play, we never say what to play. Sometimes I would be there working on the jump pad and Robert plays something. I said, that sounds wicked. And I said, really? And then he started working on it and it developed much better. And things like that. So even like this, pull up to the bumper. We just start singing a song for and pull and start playing the line. And then we said, next word to him. We just went and mm -hmm. I said, that's it. And I said, yeah, we kid. I said, yeah, man, but, but, but. And everybody was dancing, you know. So he's, he, he just, I don't know, sometimes what he's thinking, but he would think of a conversation and turn it into a baseline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just so. And he like something moving. And he said, that sounds nice to know. And I said, I get try and, and see if I can turn a line out of that. And we like phone the sound and say, oh, you know, can't boop, 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 boop. And the bass, we sit there sometime out the room, those motorists in and out the bass, and we just feeling out things. And I would say, take the tempo, say, this tempo, and we would play around. And I say, yeah, that's so wicked. And even on the video, when you play those, when Copeland says, fly and rub and the bass and the jump and thing, it's something we sit and work out. Mm -hmm in the hotel room, you know, and then we go and sound check with try and practice and see it work and then we say, Yeah, and I said, That's cool and everything. Even playing on the bass guitar, we just suggested one day, I said, This bass that's a real bass engine for me to play on the the stick on the bass and that's a real bass engine. We can't get it in the better than that. That's a real bass engine, me playing on the bass. We never really do it all the time and that's that's our overdrive. If we're in a concert like when you're playing against uh, some rock group, like we were playing one, one day concert. I remember in, in um, Austria, and Frank Zappa is the closing act, a big Frank Zappa is like um, massive. And we went on stage, and 
I mean, it was like maybe 30,000 people, 40,000 people. And Robert said, what are you going to do? I said, wow. And Dara was there, and Mike wrote, and so we were just going to perform. So we had like 40 minutes in the set, well, to play. And when it reached, like Michael was singing five songs, I said, Robert, tell him to leave the stage, because we have to leave now. And they said, come off, and everybody come off the stage. And it was, they left me, Bubbler, Sky Jules, Daryl, and Robbie. And they said to Robbie, they while I'm playing, I'm talking to Robbie sometimes. I said, go front, go front. And he called Daryl out front. And I mean, but we have, a, we have something as a play. Like we use it as an overdrive, and we book up on a lot of rock groups. That's going to go to the next level. Mm -hmm. They go front, and they thing, 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 thing. I would play it and we can't fast, 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 fast as we can think and then I would make that roll now from, from, from Negro to Port Antonio and come back in and then I'd come right back into the same break and I'd drive it home and, <laughs> and a bit of plug out underneath the stage and the people, the crowd, the 40,000 went mad. <laughs> and I was in Jamaica and I saw this guy, I said, Fly, remember me? I said, no. I was at a concert in Austria with the old example. You killed the guy. He never performed. I said, really? Oh, how come? He said, I, he said, Tim, I, said, I don't know. He never performed, but you guys killed him. I said, really? And he was going to Sunsplash, and I was in Jamaica for Sunsplash. I said, you killed the guy. Man, never performed, man. You guys rocked him. Maybe what you have to do, you know, in case like this, you have an overdrive that is social. And mm -hmm. go for all the time, and it always works, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I must back up. I must back up that slide though, because no, I said I must back up that slide because um, that part of the show used to become like the highlight mm -hmm. to leave it at the high, you mm -hmm. know. So when Sly and Robbie kick off right now, the end part, you know, and take it to the next level, because would you? So I know Sly don't like to. Yeah, that thing about himself, but it might sound like him blowing him on trumpet. But Sly was the first musician to get signed to a record label, you know. After that, that, that uh, NASA experience when I took them there to record with the Mighty Diamonds, and then from then on, become a trick. Mm -hmm. So when they decided to leave um, Peter Tosh, at the height of Peter's career, when Peter had a song with Gwen Gottschick, um, right in the charts in the U.S., and they decided to go and do their own thing. That's why when he said... Owning your own self is very important, but that's when they started to take owning their own self serious, right? Because they produced the Black Hero album, they produced the shows, they, they, they carved out everything, you know, and it was just about, you know, Sly and Robbie. Because I remember we had to use the name Black Hero with Sly and Robbie because they were so huge mm. with their creation and performance on stage that it was like, and induction into the whole um, group as one that in the end Black Hero became five people the three singers and Sly and Robbie you know on the Anthem album which won them the Grammy so I know what Sly is saying you know um, about the energy on stage and what he what they brought and it was very very important Sly how many Grammys do you have along uh, with? I have two one from um, Black Hero one from Sly and Robbie and we've been nominated our own Maybe 13 or 14 times, I think. Wow. Okay. But, but all of this, um, for me and Robbie, is when Peter touched, we went on tour with Peter because we were open for the Stones. Mm -hmm. So we saw people like Santana, um, um, some other group, um, um, some other rock group, uh, Ian Dunbar, not my brother, but uh, uh, another drummer was playing for, The Journey. Mm -hmm. I seen all these artists perform, I seen the Stones perform. So we learned and took all of that energy and bring it back to reggae. 
Mm-hmm. So we did, we have to make, keep a keep mid jagger, which allows that we have to keep kind of energy on stage like this, you know. So this is where we kind of excel to the level and learn how to keep that flow from hit the stage. It's not gonna stop until we finish. Coming into the stone on stage, it, it doesn't stop until they finish, you know. So what the tongue Peter touching on a lot of people are involved in this, you know, to get those very out today, rubbing myself and. And we have to thank you, our guests this morning, Lowell Sly Dunbar and Copeland Forbes. We've been speaking with them from about 7 o'clock this morning, and we've filled in with the music as well inside of Live Tuesdays. Gentlemen, this has been a fun interview. Thank you ever so much. As we got a chance to say thank you in music and in conversation to Robbie Shakespeare. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. And the... The song continues. Cool 97 FM, thanking you all listeners okay, for joining okay. us. One minute, can I request a song before you go? Of course! <laughs> all right. I think there's two songs. Either you play one or the other. One is Art Made of Stone, and one is um, All Road is Africa by Black Rover, and one is by the Voice Show. Anyone you want to play. It's kind of line, bass line that people ask. Well, I think Robbie Singh's played like one of the toughest bass line. He's rated number 17. Oh. And that probably could tell the story. All right. And I must close by thanking you uh, for having me on such a very important topic. And uh, um, I was honored and privileged to be a part of most of the experiences. And may, Robbie, may your soul rest in peace. I sat with you 18 months ago when you just built and we reminisced for hours at your house. And um, you have left us a great legacy. And I hope some of the young ones will learn from the experience of the rhythm twins of Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shake. Yeah, this, this is a hard note to swallow, you know. And Don't worry. Cool 97 FM is here for you. All right? Thank you for choosing Cool. Thank you indeed. Honor was ours. Honor was ours.